I always say in the restaurant business, somebody that can handle the food side and the number side is a special uh, individual in the restaurant business. And, and Bruce understands numbers as well as he understands ops and food. So, you know, we're blessed that we, we have more than one talent and, and we're both great problem solvers and we both eat risk for breakfast. So we are serial entrepreneurs that don't mind taking calculated risk. And we're off. Welcome, everybody, to the Commonwealth Connections podcast. This is your host, Dawson Fields, with my co-host, Weston Wilson. Um, today, we have a couple guests in the studio. We've got Bruce Drake and Brian McCarty in with Bluegrass Hospitality Group and all their uh, different restaurants they have with that. So, guys, welcome onto the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So, why don't you both just kind of give us a quick little uh, snippet of your all's background, family, where you're from, and kind of how'd you make your way to Lexington or if you were born here? Well, I'm Bruce Drake, and I grew up in Western Kentucky and uh, went to Apollo High School and then went to Western and, after, and played a little rugby for about five years at Western. And after I graduated, I got a job with L&N Seafood and moved to Louisville. And then uh, I got married to a uh, college uh, sweetheart, and uh, we moved to we moved to Lexington. Got transferred to Lexington. I was growing through Ellen and Seafood, and then uh, they wanted me to move to uh, Western Western Virginia. And my wife got a job with Ellen and also because we were both in the hotel restaurant industry. We both moved to. Western Virginia, Reston, Virginia, and I got a job at Rockville, Maryland, LNN, and she worked at uh, Town Center, and we were there for about a year. Then I got promoted to GM, moved back to Lexington. Then they asked us to go to Pittsburgh for about a year, went there for about a year, came back to Lexington, and during that time, Brian McCarty was probably my number one customer at the restaurant. So, uh, yeah, that's where Bruce and I met over at uh, L&N Seafood. But uh, before we met, you know, in the late 80s, mid-80s, I'll back up. And I was born in Ohio, moved to Florida for 18 months. And in 1973, uh, my dad was with Knight Ritter Newspapers down in Miami. And uh, Knight Ritter had bought the Lexington Herald-Leader in 1973. And they moved my dad up here. Uh, to work in their finance department at their new acquired paper here. And uh, in 1973, um, you know, five, six, seven years old and in Newtown and um, started elementary school over at Christ the King, uh, over in Chevy Chase. I've never, never left Chevy Chase since. Serial entrepreneur in Basically, uh, my high school years started my own business called McCarty Cards. McCarty Cards was a byproduct of me being a big time baseball card collector in my teenage years. And uh, one day I came home from high school and my mother had uh, moved everything out of her house to get her house back the way she wanted it. She moved it out to Nandino Boulevard. I mean, I had cases and cases and thousands and thousands of baseball cards, and uh, 
on the dining room table that day, she said, you need to send $550 a month to this address because I've signed a lease for you. And all your stuff's out on the Indino. And so that was the day that uh, I went from being a collector to a businessman. Um, <laughs> she put me into business that day because I, all of a sudden I had expenses. And uh, so I had to figure out how to make the cash register ring. And uh, so I spent five or six years being a um, big distributor of baseball cards. It, it grew and grew and grew into about a $10 million a year um, uh, sports memorabilia baseball card business. Wow. Wow. Expanded into uh, outside of baseball cards when the general manager of the uh, Chicago Cubs called me. And he said, um, I'm trying to figure out whether the chairs in Wrigley Field are what they're worth. Uh, if they're worth anything, because the owners want to replace the ones that have been in there since 1914 this off season, He says, I haven't been able to figure anything out yet, but somebody gave me your number. Um, I thought about it for 24 hours. I kind of did some simple math, and I said, you know, I know Wrigley Field has 35,000 seats. What if I can salvaged 20,000 of them at 10 bucks a piece. So I called him back the next day and I offered him $200,000. This was back in, I was only about 18, 19 years old. I, I just took a spitball at it, offered him $200,000 24 hours after he called me. And he went to his owners and called me back and said, 250 will get it, but you only have 10 days to get, get him out of here. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yep. So I hired a wrecking company and, uh, Chicago Speedway Wrecking Company, and they uh, loaded up 42 tractor trailers of Wrigley Field Stadium chairs, shipped them, shipped them down here to Lexington. I partnered up with my biggest competitor out west. We split them up and marketed them through Sports Illustrated, Sporting News, Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Tribune, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, New Yorker Magazine, and this was pre-internet and display advertising and uh, and all those publications. And, you know, thank goodness it was the GM of the Cubs and not the GM of the AAA, you know, Oklahoma City, <laughs> you know, whatever, uh, that called because we, we bought them all. We, we brought them all back here. We marketed them. We, and, and, you know, as you know, there's Cubs fans all over the world, and they 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 gobbled them up over a year's time and, we learned a lot of lessons. Um, they weighed 130 pounds apiece. They were cast iron. We had to go. We had to redesign the uh, outside shipping container like four times because the legs kept poking through them during shipping, and they'd break. And but it was a it was a great experience, and and uh, that led uh, you know, like I said, I'm I was a serial entrepreneur, had my own business at age 14, and. We had a lot of highs. We had a lot of lows. Uh, the market would fluctuate with, you know, did did Daryl Strawberry just get, you know, rung up on drug charges and the value of the 1986 rookie Daryl Strawberry product, you know, plummets. So I rode that wave. And like I said, there were a lot of highs, a lot of lows. I employed all my high school friends, and uh, we would ship, we would ship all over the country. Like I said, it was a $10 million a year business as a teenager. That's incredible. Wow. What was it like getting a call? I mean, 
you don't trade baseball cards like that and not be a baseball fan. What was it like getting a call from the Cubs GM at 19? Oh, it was, it was, uh, it was, I cleared my schedule. It was, uh, it was pretty cool. Um, I'd clear my week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even if yeah. I didn't need to. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a match made in heaven. I had to be nimble. We had to turn on a dime and, uh, he had to get those things out of there and, and, you know, we made a market for him. What'd you end up selling those chairs for? Maybe on average. Well, they uh, we we advertised them and we sold them one for one twenty nine, two for one seventy nine, or three for two twenty nine. So when we went into a row of chairs, we would go in there with chainsaws every third chair and go right up the middle of them. So we had to sacrifice a chair every third or fourth chair, and we'd walk out of Wrigley Field ideally with two half chairs and three in the middle. Brought them back to Lexington, and we'd figure out whether we could sell it as a three, or or were one of the outsides damaged where we had to sacrifice that and turn it into a two, or was the middle uh, damaged and we'd turn it into two ones. So, one twenty nine, one seventy nine, two twenty nine seems like a lot of profit on a ten dollar investment, but we sacrificed a lot of product. The the um, you know transportation and the excavation out of Wrigley Field was a lot of money. Uh, but the shipping was the most. I mean, literally, we were paying a fortune to get these things transported because they were so heavy, and the outside containers were literally. We had twenty five back in back. This was thirty years ago, and and the shipping container was like thirty five bucks, and oh and then shipping was was on top of that, and we those prices were were delivered. So. Uh, you know, it sounds like uh, it was it, like I said, it was a it was a heck of a learning experience, and, and it was a fun project. That's really cool. Um, I had an employee quit um, for us that traded cards, and he you know figured out that if he just spent more time trading cards, then he would make more hourly than he was making for me. So I said, you know, kudos to you, go for it. But it was no ten million dollar business, and that's really cool. Uh, it, but, uh, you know, as far as my background, um, that was the cool part of my teenage years. Like I said, I've always been a serial entrepreneur. My dad has always been in finance. My mom's uh, had her own business for over 35 years. She has four friends uh, down in Chevy Chase. And, um, you know, I met my wife in high school. We've been married for over 30 years. We have three uh, three daughters Two of them are uh, what our youngest. Uh, we just dropped her off at Old Miss last week. The middle one's getting ready to get married next month, and the oldest one lives in Nashville. There you go, empty nesters. That's right. So you were Bruce's biggest customer or regular customer, and that's how you guys met. Were you still trading cards at the time? When we met, I had I had my business, and um, you know. Had some extra jingle in my pocket, and I could afford to eat out. And uh, I loved his restaurant. And uh, I'd typically pop in uh, after his lunch rush because I knew he'd have a little more time. And we enjoyed. Uh, I enjoyed eating eating good food, and I've always enjoyed eating good food. <laughs> you can tell. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm a foodie, and and I eat out probably 360 days a year, and and uh, always. Admired uh, Regatta and L and N, and was his best customer. And 
that's where we got to know each other. And um, in 1998, 1996, excuse me, had some buddies approach me about uh, getting into the restaurant business. And I'd never worked a day in my life in, in the restaurant business. And I was 27 at the time, 26 at the time. And, and I went to Bruce over one of those lunches and said, uh, have an opportunity to buy a 14 year old neighborhood bar and grill over in Chevy Chase called AP Suggins. And, um, want, want you to coach me through it and love for you to be my partner. And I think we had to get in the restaurant business together. I say? said, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I had no shot at getting them to be my partner as much as I wanted them to be, but we, uh, we formed a partnership with uh, with Brad Scott that and and a couple other guys that currently own it today and and I I uh, got in the restaurant business worked it in ninety six and ninety seven Bruce coached me through it from a distance real real interesting story because um, every I had just completed let me back up a little bit McCarty cards I told you. There were a lot of highs, a lot of lows, and um, you know a lot of market shifts. And my parents, my parents basically gave me an ultimatum one day, and they said, "Look, it's basically us or 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 McCarty Cards because if you think you're if you think you're going to not go to school, you're crazy." And so they incur- they basically said, "You need to sell McCarty Cards and and go to college." So I had. Uh, Started UK in uh, the fall of '87, and uh, I signed up for 18 hours and um, basically didn't go to class, so I failed out. Um, my parents weren't real thrilled with that, but I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to not being real academic and not loving school because I, I've it's never been my favorite thing. But my parents weren't going to have anything of it, and they said. So we, we, we sold McCarty cards and, and I went, I went to Curry college in Boston, blew through, blew through college and then had an opportunity to get an MBA. And I, and I was looking at the business week rankings of the top 30, uh, business schools. And there were only two on the list that offered a, uh, one year program. And I decided, <laughs> uh, decided to take advantage of one of, one of them. So I, I, I got an MBA in three semesters, one year. And uh, came back to Lex. Was trying to open up a company very familiar to Amazon, but similar to Amazon before Amazon existed. Hmm. So when when McCarty Cards was rocking and rolling, I realized what a wonderful place Lexington was in terms of distribution. You know, we are so centrally located to like seventy or eighty percent of the population. And UPS, you can ship anything UPS, and it can, you can you know not have to pay for air and get it there via ground in forty eight hours or less out of Lexington. That's why you see a lot of distribution companies uh, in Central Kentucky, and you know the UPS Air Hubs in Louisville, and you know DHL had a big one up in uh, Cincinnati Airport. And now Amazon's blown up in in uh, Northern Kentucky. Just like Bruce said, I, I dabbled around with uh, Express Distribution for a couple of years, but uh, after college, but then, um, but then he bought Suggins. Then we bought Suggins, <laughs> <laughs> and and so the the story on Suggins was everybody. My parents had just written these checks for me to get a college education, for me to get an MBA, and they're going, 
what business do you want to get in? <laughs> you know, what's the failure rate, Bruce, on restaurants? 97% fell within three years. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm 26, 27. My parents had just written all these big checks, and they're going, you have lost your mind. So I went back to the seller, and I said, look, I don't know if we're going to be able to get this thing into the, in, uh, across the finish line because, I mean, everybody's telling me every reason why the restaurant business is, is so tough and so awful and something I should keep my distance from. And uh, we worked for another couple of weeks on a deal. He wanted 250000 He'd been running this thing for 14 years. He wanted to get out. It was time to go. And um, I, I made, made a proposal to him. I said, look. If if this thing's all you say it's cracked up to be, then you know two fifty seems like a reasonable price. But everybody else in the world's telling me I'm going to fall on my face. So why don't I give you fifty thousand a day? And if it's everything you say it is, I'll give you the re- the other two hundred a year from now. But if it's everything everybody else says it's going to be, then I can walk. You keep my fifty, and you get your business back. Hmm. So he bit. Within within a month, it's oozing through my veins, and I know it's going to be what I'm going to do the rest of my life. And I paid him as two hundred, probably two months before the year anniversary. Wow, that's the first time I've heard a deal like that. Yep. Well, and 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 I and you know it made a lot of sense. And it, and and if a seller is that confident in their business or their product that it's going to work for the for the prospective uh, uh, purchaser, then you know, show some confidence and and uh, and work with them. So it it worked out and worked out for everybody. Bruce coached me through it, and um, and lo and behold, two of our best customers that came in for lunch a couple times a week were the two guys, CB McKeachin and JW Davis, that owned the Lansdowne shops. They developed the Lansdowne shops when New Circle Road was being built through the middle of their farm there at Tiggs Creek and New Circle back in 1968. And these guys uh, kind of, well, they were great customers. And, and then 1997, Columbia's was coming to the end of their lease, a 10-year lease, and had decided to move over to Richmond Road and buy their land and develop a new location. And CB and JW were going to have their restaurant space empty. It, it, it had been the governor's table. It had been Nellie Kelly's. It had been Brubaker's. It had been Columbia's in the first, from 68 to 98. So the first 30 years, it had four restaurants. Then from 88 to 98, they had Columbia's. And then in 98, they came, they were, they twisted my arm at Suggins and said, hey, we like what you're doing over here. Why don't you uh, take a look at Lansdowne? And I grew up across the street on Monta Vesta. used to ride my bicycle, Nellie Kelly's. So I knew the Lansdowne shops, and it was it was a location that had a wider reach than Suggins on Romney Road because of New Circle and whatever. I went back to my lunch buddy over here and and said, uh, "I know you turned me down on Suggins, but but we need to do something special together over in the Lansdowne shops." And and uh, we spent uh, we spent probably ninety days trying to figure out what Lexington needed. And we both settled on a prime beef steakhouse. That's awesome. So this time you said, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was uh, a few years later. I don't 
regatta, I had ran L&N Seafood since 89, and now it's 94. Or no, that wasn't 94, but in 94, I bought regattas and um, kind of a backdoor way of getting it from the company. And uh, we had been real successful. We added that patio out for, out back, and, and it was uh, really booming, doing well. And I had been lucky enough through Robert Langley to uh, invest in three Texas roadhouses, uh, Ashland, Clarksburg, and Morgantown, West Virginia. I was doing pretty good with that, and I was getting to the point where I wasn't wanting to be a GM much anymore. I wanted to just own these restaurants and kind of oversee them. And so the, all of a sudden this opportunity comes along. I'm kind of easing back off, off being a GM. You know, I've been doing it for quite a few years. And, uh, you know, we we went to Chicago. We went to Atlanta. We looked at several different places. And, you know, uh, at the time there was no prime beef. I don't know if you know what prime beef means versus just steakhouse. But there was no prime beef steakhouse in a town of less than a million people. And lo and behold, now we have three in a town of 330,000 that are probably number one, two, and three volume in the state. So we, we decided to do um, we decided to do Malone's, and uh, it's kind of a neat story because we, we started off Malone's, and uh, we, I think we wanted to do about forty five or 50,000 a week was our pro forma. We didn't know. And we, that was a good guess. You know, two, two and a half, three million dollars. So the first week, this is May of March, ni- March of ninety eight. March of ninety eight. So the first week we open up and we do about thirty five thousand. Second week we do about forty five thousand. Third week we're tracking for fifty five thousand. And uh, this wonderful gentleman named Howard Snyder, who was the food critic for Laird Leader, he comes in and does a review that he writes in the Weekender at the Herald Leader. And it was pretty much the most horrific review we'd ever read from any restaurant. Oh, my I gosh. mean, and you were an idiot if you came to our restaurant to eat, period. I mean, it was just like $26 for a New York strip. Who do they think they are? Of course, we were in a Columbia's, you know, before that had an eight ninety nine, you know, filet mignon. You know what I <laughs> right. mean? And so anyway, our sales went down. It went down. It went down. And it just kept getting worse. And we kind of stuck our head in the sand for about 10 or 12 weeks. And finally, my wife, who was an operator too, and Brian and I get together and we're out of money. It's 12 weeks later and we're just, we're screwed. And we decide that we're going to do three things. We, we, op- we decide to open, we were just dinner only. So we decided to open for lunch because we needed more revenue. And uh, we decided to open for lunch. We decided to add a fourteen ninety five prime New York sirloin. We decided to actually advertise, and so we did. And uh, sales started going up. Sales started going up. You know, busier and busier. And next thing you know, we're um, you know at the time, you know, and it's in its heyday, we were easily the the top volume restaurant in the state. And I mean, we were on forty five minute waits on Sunday nights at eight o'clock. I mean, it was crazy. And that's when we. After about two years of that is when we decided to take over the space next to us and open Oscars, which you guys might not remember Oscars. Oscars was a seafood piano bar that was unbelievable place. And uh, it was there for, what, six, seven years? 
About 10. I've heard people uh, talk about it. But from I 2000 to 2009. <clears throat> yeah. And so we do Oscars. Oscars does great, but it runs its course. And then, and then in the meantime, we'd opened up two other Malones. We opened up uh, Malones at Palomar, and we opened up Malones at Hamburg, which is another story with we don't have all day, but I mean, wow. we, we started as a Damon's. We backdoored into. Yeah. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on, on, on two scary moments. So <laughs> obviously, Bruce said in 98, you know, our first quarter, the first three weeks were unbelievable. The last 10 of the first quarter were awful, and we stuck our heads in the sand, and literally it was an all-in moment. We had nothing, and we, we went all-in with, uh, with that three-pronged approach with, with opening for lunch, advertising. Just a question real quick. Uh-huh. Did, did you sell your other restaurants? No. Okay, so you no, no, I still own. Okay, you still own. Did, he had to be. Able, thing, he had to be able thing, to go to the grocery store. So he the kept, only thing he kept, that I had, he kept, he kept regatta. The only thing that we we stopped was regattas, and regattas only closed because over eight. It was eighteen years when I closed it. But the only reason I closed is that salmon went from two ninety nine a pound to ten dollars a pound. Right. You know, tuna went from four dollars a pound to fifteen dollars a pound, and I had a certain price point in that restaurant, and it just. You know, if right. steaks went from twenty dollars a pound to eighty dollars a pound, you could, you know what I mean? The the it's right. exponential. Right. Yeah, that'd kill you. Well, a lot of restaurants have their cycle, but Bruce, back back in '98 when we started the first Malones, he ran regatta through for for another twelve years okay. after yeah. we started. Malone's. Oh yeah, I was just curious if y'all went all in on Malones. Oh no, no, okay, okay. No, but so in '98 we have a brush with death. And and that was a, re, a result of a bad restaurant review. We we like he said we we had a three prong approach to dig out, and we opened for lunch. We went all in, all in for advertising, and we added a a, a sirloin for fourteen bucks, and it worked. It worked. Problem is 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 that a year or two later, we doubled down on our on our on on the success that we had at Malone's Lansdowne and we invested more money than we had in the new Damon's that was coming to town. And um, we we basically didn't know where Hamburg was at this point in time, and we were one of the very first restaurants out in that area. And, and we got talked into investing cash into this new restaurant. We did not operate it. We did not really have a say in it, um, but it crashed and burned within a couple of years well, of opening. Well, that's not completely correct. I mean, it did, but when it opened up, it was the busiest Damon's in the country by like $20,000 a week. So it was on fire. But Damon's as a company like Chi-Chi's and so many other restaurant companies literally went from a th- from 100 miles an hour to zero. I mean, it just Damon's just bombed, but it was the busiest restaurant. It was doing a hundred thousand a week as a Damon's, and the, the busiest Damon's in, in the country was doing like sixty thousand a week. Wow! So, and and remember, we're on the other side of the tracks. We're not over in Hamburg with all the other twenty six restaurants. We're the loner up on the hill on the right. And so, after Damon's, after we had to close Damon's. Through a lot of negotiating, a lot of compromising, we finally got talked into putting the Malones there. 
And we were scared to death. Right. This is, think about this. This is the first one on Takes Creek opens in 98, has a brush with death in 98. And then Damon's closes in like 02. We did Palomar first, didn't we? No. Oh. So we had another brush with death within five years of the first brush when our quarter of a million dollar cash investment in Hamburg went down the toilet and the only way to potentially save the deal was to convert Damon's into Malone's. And Brian and Bruce were scared to death to open a second Malone's in Lexington because we thought it would just water down Takes Creek Road and you'd split the audience and literally we'd have two break-even businesses or worse. Right, because there's only so much room for a prime high stake. Yeah, yeah. Okay? So so we roll the dice and and open up. First of all, we opened up Harry's out there, and and we, we converted half the building to Harry's while Damon's was still going, and the Harry's clicked. And we it wasn't long thereafter that we converted the whole building to Malone's. And while it was scary at first, it wasn't long before we realized everything was going to work out. That's awesome. It grew, it grew by twenty percent five years in a row. Uh, we kept trying to figure out how to add more parking, and every time we'd add more parking, it would just do more business. We literally, we literally invested in a sign that said, "We're only on a ten-minute wait." To put it out there because people would drive in the parking lot and. And look and be like, oh my God, look at all these cars. <laughs> so we literally made a sign to say we're not on a wait or we're on a 10 minute wait. So they know they could park half mile away and still walk in and be able to eat. Because that's a big building. It's the number Huge. one restaurant in about four states. Yeah, it, that's a big building, but the parking is not. As big as the building. Well, well it is, it's, it's, it's a lot. We've gotten we, a lot we, better now. We've added to it over the years. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And but it, it, it's 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 pretty substantial now. But I the, remember the parking evolu- there in the past, and I had to park down the street and, no, and you, walk up. You, you, yeah, it, it can happen. They used to park but, out but on. I got on, right on, in on a Keeneland on a Keeneland football Saturday. Uh, yeah, you, you may have to you may have to walk three or four minutes. But uh, so so ninety eight was Takes Creek. 02 or 03 was Hamburg. And then um, Woodford uh, Woodford uh, and, and Dudley came to us um, when Roy Nadine's was going out of Palomar Center uh, in 07 and said we'd love a third Malone's in Palomar. So within 10 years, we opened up three Malone's, and, you know, obviously all three are wildly successful, and um, that's – you know the first, the first ten years was Malone's, 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 uh, with some with some off brands. With I shouldn't say small off brands because in '03 we doubled down in Lansdowne. Five years after we opened our first restaurant together, and and tore down a six thousand square foot dress shop and went back up with a eighteen thousand square foot two level building called Sal's and Harry's and. And uh, Malone's Prime, and that's when we got into the banquet business. That's when we opened our first satellite bar called Harry's, and um, and of course got into Italian, and that wasn't one of our smarter moves. Um, but you know, it lasted about ten years. It did, but a common a common. I, I a, miss Sal's. Oh, so it's, it's we still have Sal's bread at OBC. Yeah, but. Uh, 
you know, so much of being an entrepreneur is, is, is about um, failing. About failing. It's and about, learning from it. It's about taking risk and um, learning from your mistakes. And, um, you know, we've, we've closed, we've, we just opened our 26th restaurant, 27th restaurant last week. Yeah. And uh, we've had to close our fair share. I mean, we have some casualties like uh, Meats Barbecue Market. Well, if you, we close Oscars, Club Room, Meats, Souths. There you go. So, you know. And I don't really count our, the Club Room. Our, our, it, was a, our, it was a room. Our 25-year run, um, you know, doesn't come without bumps in the road. Um, hey, but, let me tell you this. <laughs> Talking about the first three three weeks we were open, you know, we were flying by the seat of our pants, and I had a training system in place. But you know, we were we were flying at a hundred thousand feet, and uh, I'll never forget. I still remember her name. I won't say it on the air, but uh, you know, our service had to improve too. You know, not only did we have to change our prices and open for lunch and add the fourteen ninety five New York New York sirloin, but but you know we. I tell you, the the coolest place we ever owned, which didn't make it, but we always thought about revitalizing it again, was Oscars. Oscars was a seafood piano bar. It was it was probably two thousand two thousand one we opened it, but it was it was decored in two thousand ten. I mean, it was really nice. Had uh, real good staff in there, and uh, it was a seafood piano bar. We had uh, amazing musicians. We had these two guys, both of them were, uh, they played different nights. Both of them, amazingly enough, couldn't see. And they had someone to set them, bring them and set them down and everything. And they were absolutely amazing. And this place was the hit of all hits. And that's when we came up with the Stoli Doly and the Pixie Stick. And uh, somebody had asked about the Pixie Stick earlier. But that's where that drink came from, was from uh, Oscars. Same, y'all didn't get to see that. So you've opened up, you said you're 27th. 27th, okay. And how many states are you in now? Seven. seven. That's awesome. Yeah, we just opened Cookville, Tennessee uh, last Monday. Oh, that's cool. I love Cookville. Like, Yeah, I mean, I, that was the closest Walmart when I was growing up. Well, we used to, we, I've, I've gone to Crossville, um, uh, 15 times dropping my kids off at uh, Camp Nakanawa. And so I was a little Band bit camp. little bit a little bit familiar with the area, but we're obviously very friendly with the Greers that have had a lot of restaurant success in central Kentucky as well and they had a uh, they had a Cheddar's in in Cookville that was was a top performer and that that um we got hot on Cookville a couple of years ago, and we're thrilled to be done there. So I want to tell you a little bit about Drake's. Okay, so it's 2009. Oscars has ran its course. We're wanting to close Oscars. It's right beside Malone's Lansdowne, and uh, we want to put another rest. We want to put something else in there. And we had a lot of different ideas and whatever, but we wanted to come up with some type of craft beer, some kind of beer burger sushi place. Okay. And uh, we felt like it could do more volume. As an example, I'll just give you an idea of the volumes. In Oscar's heyday, and now remember, it was it was dinner only, it didn't open until 5 o'clock, and didn't do much business on Monday and Tuesday night. And uh, Oscar's... It was only 1,000 square feet. Yeah, it was only 1,000 square foot. 
But Oscars would do about, I think it's heyday, 35, 25, 25,000 a week. So, <laughs> so all of a sudden we take the club room out of the back, we open the back kitchen, and now we're about 25 to 30,000 square foot total. We decide to open up this, uh, this burger, beer, sushi place. Well, first of all, we can't come up with a name. And, uh, I wanted to call it Nick's because our GM of that building at the time, which now is my son, Jack Drake, but then it was a guy named Nick Lork. And I wanted to call the place Nick's, you know, Nick's and Drake's. We like to give them different names and have their own identity. And so anyway, we like to procrastinate. We don't, we don't make decisions real quick. And so they gave us a deadline. If you don't come up with a name by Wednesday at like 10 a.m., then we either can't open or you're going to open without any sign or any name on the menu. Because I mean, it's you got like a week to get the menus printed and to make a sign. And so I always come in earlier because I dropped my kids off at school early. I had three boys, Jack Wade and Johnny Bruce Drake. Johnny Bruce just got dropped off at Ole Miss too. He's a freshman. So anyway, and uh, Wade is a server at, uh, at Brandon Crossing. Uh, he graduated from UK, and then Jack is just kicking butt at Lansdowne. And so anyway, um, I come in the office, and I always got there maybe 30 minutes before he did. And I walk into my office. Of course, our office was maybe twice the size of this room. And uh, I walk into my office, and he's sitting at my desk. I'm like, okay. He goes, I got the name. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, well, if he's this passionate about it, I'm sure I'll like the name, but I'm going to, whatever, I'm not going to say that. I said, what name do you want to do? And he said, Drake's. I was like, really? He's like, uh, yeah, it's we love singular, plural, and doesn't mean anything. Yeah. You know, like, like as an example, it'd be hard to call it McCarty's. If you call it McCarty's, it's what? It's an it's an Irish bar, right, right? You know what I mean. And so, um, so we we thought about it. I called my wife. Said, "What do you think about calling it Drake's?" Believe it or not, it's kind of scary to name something after yourself because if it doesn't work, then you know you're, you're known for it. Your name's tied to it. <laughs> yeah. And so we finally said, "Okay," and we named it Drake's, right? And uh, we uh, we opened up, and the first week. It does a hundred grand a week, and we were like, "Holy cow!" Versus the twenty-five. Yes. Yes. At, now that twenty-five was in its heyday, right? And this wow. place did a hundred thousand dollars a week. I mean, it was unheard of. And um, you know, now we just opened our twenty-second Drakes. They're booming. They're doing well. Uh, and I wanted to give kudos out. We talked. We'd had an old former partner that in the Texas Roadhouses. At one time, he we skipped this. At one time, we opened and built three Texas Roadhouses. It was me, Brian McCarty, Mark Thornburg, and David Dimmers. No, Chuck Melander. Chuck Melander, and, my brother-in-law, and, and David. And David. And so Mark um, became the driving force to the Texas Roadhouses. He went from managing Sears to just really getting into the Texas Roadhouses. I didn't like to travel as much. He did the traveling, was in a, become the market partner for them. And then he ended up 
quitting Sears, going full-time with Tex Roadhouse, and did such a great job that they hired him full-time and bought they bought us back because of him. They wanted him so bad that Tex Roadhouse has bought those three stores back. And so then years later, Mark does Tex Roadhouse about eight or ten years. So that was like from, you know, from 2000 to or, 20, or 98 to 2008. Well, then we come up with this Drake's, and I'm like, okay, we got something. This can travel. And that's when I went back to Mark and kind of pulled him out of retirement and said, we want you to head up Drake's. And Mark and Josh, you know, Morris have just done a fantastic job of, you know, we just built our 22nd one. Um, you know, we built a few and then slowed down, built a few and then slowed down, took a break, you know. And and so now we're on a pretty good growth pattern. That's awesome. What What made you really decide to – it seems like you're franchising tricks, right? No. Well, no, you're not. No, no we, not we, really. We, we, we don't want to release control uh, and get into that game. We are going to do a joint venture with our friends, the Greers. They're getting ready to open up Danville with us. Okay. Um, but we, Bruce and I are teed up to develop four or five a year for the next five to 10 years um, and get a, Get it closer to fifty, but these twenty-two that we have right now are all ours. Okay, yeah. Hey, it's 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 a wonderful brand that um, you know it works in smaller markets like Owensboro and Huntsville, and it works in bigger markets like Nashville and Louisville and Indy. So um, and, and everything in between. Thank you to all our friends in Louisville. We love you guys over there. <laughs> <laughs> our Louisville stores are just doing fantastic. That's awesome. Yep. And the, you know the neat thing about Drake's, and people don't understand. You know the number one chain restaurant volume in the in the country that I know of right now uh, in casual dining is Texas Roadhouse, and we're 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 that close to their unit volumes. And they're they're seventy eight to eight thousand square foot. We're six thousand square foot, and we're maybe a hundred thousand behind them on unit volume. So I mean we're, you know, we've got a good we've got a good thing going. That's awesome. That's incredible. But it, it, it's um, you know. It's been a heck of a twenty-five year run, but I mean, we we couldn't have, we couldn't have been successful with the first one or the twenty-second one without great people. And and bottom line is is we have three thousand employees and um, we have twenty-six successful restaurants. We have some really good employees, unbelievable. And um, you know, we're getting ready. We just uh, awarded a contract to start construction and. Chattanooga with our first Malone's outside the state of Kentucky that'll open next year. And uh, just like Mark and Josh running the uh, Drake side of our business, we have Johnny Mack uh, and Matt, and Fraser. Matt Fraser that are running the um, Malone side of our business that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going outside of Kentucky for the first time because we think we can, you know, bottle the same magic that we've created on the Drake side with the Malone's brand that's been so successful for 25 years. So we left, uh, we left two years ago right after the pandemic or right in the middle of the pandemic and opened up Malone's Louisville. That was the first Malone's outside of Lexington that opened uh, in June of 21. And that's been wildly successful. Goes back and forth with Hamburg uh, for the title of being the busiest restaurant in the state. It's been a heck of a run. Well, while we've mentioned these people's names, there's a couple more I want to mention. There's a person that's very near and dear to us named Jean Earnhardt. She's been a she started with me as a bartender at '95, and uh, for all practical 
term. She 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 pretty much kind of runs the company. I mean, she runs the day-to-day business in the office and keeps everybody straight. And we have a lot of people in our office. And she keeps Brian and I straight and she does an amazing job and and she's one of those people in our leadership group and we have a guy named Virgil Covington who's our director of training and has been on our leadership group for 10, 15 years, and they're, I mean, I wish I could mention everybody we have. We have so many amazing people. Well, the culinary folks, uh, Chef Allen just she, retired. And yep, Chef Allen, Lamaroon. Matt Combs has been with you for how long, Bruce? Oh, Matt Combs, I hired Matt Combs. I think it was, I don't know if it was Ellen and Seafood or Regattas. You might have been 90, violating child, child liberty. Child, he Matt. was 17 years old, and he was a cook. And he lived in uh, not Central City. Uh, he lived in oh, Estill County. No, no. what's that? It was city? East of here, wasn't it? It was about a forty-five minute drive, and he'd drive here. He'd every drive day. here every day and go to work. And um, he finally quit long enough to go to culinary school. As soon as he got out of culinary school, he came right back, hired him as an executive chef, and now he's our culinary director. He's been with me at least thirty years. That's incredible. You know. But the tenure, the tenure of uh, of the folks, I think I think we're up to fifty in our corporate office now, and virtually all of them have uh, started with us as hosts or essays or servers or bartenders, and then have graduated into their real job, you know, and um, come to the corporate office and they 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 they, they drink the BHG Kool Aid. And you know our culture is our culture is everything, and our people are everything, and uh, we have a wonderful culture. And um, you know we learned a big lesson in in twelve when when we opened up that first Drake's in '09. Two years later, we said, well, right away, two months later, we said it's time to go on the road because we have something special. And two years later, we were teed up to open up three stores in one year. And we opened up Louisville St. Matt's, Early 11, Cool Springs South of Nashville, um, Mid-11, and then a second one at the Paddock in Louisville uh, in Late 11. So this was 13 years after Bruce and I got together. Two years after we built the first Drake's, we opened up three brand-new Drake's right off the bat, and and all three of them worked. And then we, in twelve, we go into Huntsville, and then we go go up to Indy. Well, guess what's getting stretched thin at this point? We were only six, seven restaurants in, and we did not have the infrastructure to send four managers to Indy. So what do we do? We 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 tell Mark to go up to Indy and and hire four managers. Well, yeah. You know, grab somebody out of O'Charlie's, grab somebody out of Chili's, grab you somebody. You might as well went to the work release program at the jail. Yeah. So <laughs> so that store did not open up with the right culture. Mm-hmm. And literally, we almost had to close it, and literally we slammed the brakes on growth because we were trying to hire from the outside and not promote from inside. And it was a huge transformative lesson back in 2012 that we said we're not going to open up new restaurants without folks that are drinking the BHG cool. I'm, I'm telling you, you could have hired a GM that had just left Fridays, TGI Fridays, and put him in there, and 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 you could hire a dishwasher from Malone's and move him to manager, and he's going to do a better job. It's unbelievable how much our culture has uh, has changed. I mean, how much our culture 
you know, we, we just did a management uh, interest. We have manage, manager interest meetings within our company every six months. And you have to quali- be qualified. You have to be basically approved by your GM to attend these meetings. Like, unless your GM approves you to say, yeah, I think you're manager worthy, you can't go. In the last meeting we had, there was 55 people there at our at our meeting. So literally, we're so much we're so inbred that we're like eight, we're like 95, 97 percent of all of our managers come from within. I mean, Josh Morris I mentioned and Matt Frazier were both essays for us, and now they're now one of them one of them's a market partner. The other one is, is well, he's past market partner, and he will be Mark's successor as the COO of Drake's. That's incredible. Yeah. I, and I think that's really key. And and I think a lesson I've learned is you got to just focus on developing from within. And, and you know, you, you might get the golden nugget from outside once, you know, one out of a hundred, but you got to focus on the, the development from within. And, and you mentioned, I think it's your office manager that keeps you in line. I feel, yeah. I feel like every, successful entrepreneur that's running a big operation. You know, if you're doing, if you're kind of more the silent partner, but if you're running the operations, I feel like every single entrepreneur needs somebody that keeps them straight because I know, I know I do. She keeps (laughs) us well in line. (laughs) No, it, she's, she's, she's got a memory like an elephant, but she can literally remember. She's got one big notebook and I don't know. And you can't read her writing. But we'll be in a meeting and we'll say, well, what 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 we say? And she'll flip back eight pages and go, well, uh, 18 months ago, you all said this. <laughs> okay. Oh. It's amazing. You didn't know you hired your mom. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> right. Right. <laughs> That's something my mom would do. <laughs> so what I find super interesting about BHG, and I've always been fascinated by it, is it's one umbrella, but you have so many different unique brands involved in it. Which is cool because it seems like when you need to pivot, y'all just pivot to a new brand. What kind of I would assume keeps the creative juices going with y'all? A lot of, lot of uh, what do we call it? R and D, R and D, research and yeah. development. Yeah, Brian but, and I have spent a lot of money traveling around looking at different places. Yeah, I I used to be on the road probably a hundred days a year and drag him along for half of them and. Uh, but you know the best ideas generally come out of uh, the bigger markets. These ideas start in in places like Atlanta and Chicago and Miami and and um, the bigger markets, and then they trickle down to markets like Lexington. And we just try and catch them early, and um, you know fall in love with them and implement them here. But I will say now, you correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, but Drake's was not Drake's was not necessarily a concept that we went to. This place and said, "Oh yeah," or this place. We just kind of um, it just kind of evolved. We knew we wanted craft beer. It was a melting pot. Remember when we went to New York and and fell in love with the sushi, and we said we want to bring sushi to Lex. Well, we'd already brought sushi. Right. That's my point. Is is we went to New York, brought sushi to Lex, and 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 probably so sushi. We implemented aqua sushi for the first time in that in that cool room you were talking about in Hamburg probably in 03 when we fully converted Malone's. I think that was our first entry into sushi. So in 03 when we did Malone's Hamburg, we got into sushi. Right. My point is is that Drake's 
we we knew we wanted to do burgers. We knew we wanted to do craft draft beer. We had three successful Harry's at this point, and we said, how are we going to be different from Harry's? Well, we're going to get into, you know, Harry's was slinging, you know, 12-ounce long necks, left like nobody's business, and we said, how can you be different from Harry's? Well, let's get into draft beer. Let's take a, another step, and let's get into craft beer. So we caught that craze on the, uh, you know, at the beginning. And then the, th- the third component was sushi, because we'd been yeah. in sushi for four or five years. Let, let me tell you about our sushi. My my wonderful wife, Melinda Drake, uh, who, by the way, is a great realtor at uh, the brokerage, <laughs> but uh, 34 years with me. But she sent a text to me and Brian last night, and it was uh, – I, I kind of opened it. I don't know exactly. I can pull it up and look at it. But it said top 10 sushi – top 10 – Sushi restaurants yep. or top ten sushi what restaurants. The of the top top 10. ten sushi restaurants in Lexington. Guess what number one was? You Drake's. Guess. Really? That's how much sushi that we sell. That's it had awesome. it had Drake's as the number one top ten sushi restaurant in Lexington, and number two was like some I don't know the name of it, but I couldn't pronounce it. But I mean, I was pretty blown away by that. That's awesome. And you weren't expecting that at all. Oh, I would have <laughs> never thought that. No. I mean, I, I who would think I of, suspect? No, I, I wouldn't. Don't get me wrong. Sales wise, yes, I would definitely guess that collectively we sell way more sushi than anybody. That's the, that's what makes you know. Because I will tell you, I'm making it sound like for somebody out there that owns a restaurant. Hey, I think I'm going to start sushi. Well, that's a lot easier said than done. You know, starting sushi somewhere is a very scary thing. You know because. Uh, if you don't do a very high volume in sushi, you're in big trouble. You know, doesn't have a long shelf life, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, they, and you don't think like if I were to send a friend that wasn't from Lexington or didn't know what Drake's was, you know, your old Google page or something, right? The first thing that's not that's going to come to mind isn't going to be the sushi. They're going to think of probably the beer and the burgers, and so I wouldn't think that the sushi was. Oh, I never imagined it's like twenty five percent of our sales was such a big part of your all's business. And we'll say the first time I ever had sushi was at Malone's. Really? Yes. We've been, we've, oh, been really? we've been we've had sushi to a lot of folks. <laughs> now, whose idea was it? Those big beer towers. Did we get that out of yeah, Indianapolis? I, I found that um, Champs. Yes, maybe Champs. Maybe Champs. I think it was Champs. Whoever brought that in, that was that was cool. Well, the neatest really, the neatest thing cool. about the tower is not the tower itself; it's the it's the pill. We call it the pill. It's the frozen tube. It's, right. it's the little frozen football that you put in the top of it. Because we did a test one day in the office, and I had a digital I had a digital thermometer, and they brought up a they brought up a tower with the pill in it, the frozen pill in the top of it. And it was at 36 degrees. And so we waited like 30 minutes, and I poured another beer like 30 minutes later. It was at like 37 degrees. I was like, holy shit, this thing really works. I mean, it, it's, That's awesome. it's amazing. Well, I just think it's, it's, it's great advertising because you're sitting, you could be on the other side of the restaurant. I don't know if you call it the bar or the restaurant. but The patio and the inside. Yeah, yeah. It, you could be on the other side of the building. And, and you, you see, see it. you see that right. thing, and you're like, 
do I want one? Does the group, you know, does everybody want one at the table? You know, you get a picture or some, you know, other restaurants do like a picture. They do, you know, something else on the table and you can't, I mean, you can see that thing from a mile away. Well, just, you got to forgive us though, because um, we're, you know, you're talking big about this tire. So if you come in and you get one, it's, it's you and your girlfriend and you get a full tire and you want a second one. Forgive us if we don't sell it to you because <laughs> this RSOA, this this responsible service of alcohol is scary nowadays. Oh, yeah. Well, I think you're doing the right thing. We have a lot to protect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Some people don't know how to protect themselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we, we serve we serve 600,000 guests a month, and, and a, few, a few of them uh, definitely like to indulge. Yeah. yeah. So explain to our listeners, and really us too, where where's your all's roles been individually within the company over the years? Have one of you focused more on development? One of you focused more on operations and training? Or so have we you have guys a, just kind of we have a couple that? silos that I would consider more art for ourselves. I'm I'm more marketing and finance. Bruce tends to be more ops and putting out fires. Yeah, always greatest problem solver on the face of the planet. And uh, and then we share the rest of it, probably. Yeah. He's definitely the greatest C- CFO we could ever have. I mean, he's, he, you know, he, uh, there's, Johnny Mike calls him Tate, look, little man Tate, because he's freaking always thinking of a new way to, he does a great job with coming up creative ways to handle the banks. Yeah, Num- numbers are my strong suit. And, you know, and, and the beauty of the beauty of Bruce's is that, uh, I always say in the restaurant business, somebody that can handle the food side and the number side is a special uh, individual in the restaurant business. And, and Bruce understands numbers as well as he understands ops and food. So, you know, we're blessed that we, we have more than one talent and, and we're both great problem solvers and we both eat risk for breakfast. So we are serial entrepreneurs that don't mind taking calculated risk and that allows us to grow. Well, Weston, I'll, I'll say this too. Um, you know, obviously in your shorter career, it sounds like you've had a big success with car, with Culver's. And I, I think we have one big thing in common. And I, and I, Brian and I both, and we preach this, it's one of our biggest things we talk to. You know, our, our creed is that, that we're 100% guest satisfaction 100% of the time. That's what our motto is that we tell every new employee. But uh, Brian and I have one thing big in common that I think really, resi- you know, is goes throughout the company is, is we're we're kind. You know, we if an employee is sick for whatever reason for five weeks or nine months, we're not trying to put them on disability or whatever. We're just paying them. We figure it'll work out. But we're just kind people and. I just met you just today and have talked to you for 30 minutes, but I can tell that you would be your kind person. And I, and you, 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 you're getting ready to buy your third or fourth restaurant. And I mean, just don't ever change from that. I mean, because that's, that's why we, our, our tenure is just incredible, but they want to work there because, you know, the number one position, the only, the number one reason that people leave their job is not money. Money's number three. Number one is management. You know, they leave their job because they can't stand their manager. You know, yeah. it's and usually not it's their I don't direct make supervisor. Right. right. So, it's, and and I've that's been a learning lesson for me is is 
they're like, Weston, I, I love working for you, but I don't like working for this guy. Right. And so probably that guy needs to go. Right. And it's taught me the relationship that I have with our leadership team is more important than anything else because if they're not expressing the same values that I am or care the same that I do, then it's not going to work. You know, here's something to think about. You know, I told, I've told several managers of this over the years. But, you know, I've told managers, they first of all, you have to address conflict. You have to address when they're late or when so, or they've done something wrong, right? But how you do that is makes all the difference. And I said, whenever you've got to correct somebody's action, if you sit down with them and at the end of that conversation, when they walk off, if you think they think you're a dick, then you did it all wrong. If they, if they think anything other than I let them down and I'm not going to do that again, I'm going to do it better next time. If you did anything other than have them thinking that way, you did it wrong. Period. That's great advice. You know, if you've, if you're, if you're, you know, the number one thing I can't stand is when somebody comes in late, oh, thanks for making it. Oh, you, you, you know, just being sarcastic. Sarcasm is the worst form of management you can ever imagine. It just pisses them. It doesn't, that doesn't do anything for anybody, you know. Young managers, they'll make the sarcastic They don't want to head straight on. Or, or they'll, they'll say something off to the side loud for oh, other yeah. people to hear. And I've, you know, come up to him before and said, what do you think you're accomplishing here? Right. Why don't you just go in the dining room, sit down with that person, and just talk to them. Figure out why they showed up late. And come up with a game plan so they don't do it again. So 15, well, it was, it was probably six months after Drake's open, so 13, 14 years ago, I walked in Drake's one day. And I still, I he still works for us. I'll say his first name is Jake, but Jake was wearing this god awful pair of jeans that were six inches too long, shredded, ragged, just a mess. Coming past his shoes, soaking up all the wetness on the floor, and so I go to this manager that God love him. He's not in the management anymore. He was a great guy, but I go to him and I said, "Hey," I said. Go tell Jake, because I'm an owner, and I don't want to just go directly to the employee, you know what I mean, and say something. That's just that's not really the right chain of command. So I go to this manager, and I said, hey, go to go to Jake and tell him that, to go home and change that he can't wear those pants anymore, right? So I give him like a bazooka. I give him all the ammunition he needs to go up there and handle the situation. So he sets he sets Jake down. He says, hey, he goes, Bruce says you can't wear those pants no more. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Jake, dude, pull your pants up and freaking be a man. You know, you you know what I mean? I'm like, what are you doing? Total combat. You know, I was like, golly. But some people are just meant, you know what I mean? Some people are to cut out for it and some people aren't, you know? Yeah. What would say has been the biggest lesson you guys have learned as you've grown over the years? Well, I will tell you that our biggest threat, I, I will say this. One of our biggest concerns in our company as we grow, whether it's in Danville or in Burlington, North Carolina, is one thing. And, and the one thing 
creates 40 other things, consistency and everything else. But the one thing that we are really worried about that we were afraid we're going to lose when we open up these restaurants is our culture. And, I mean, we really want to be a family-type restaurant. And so our culture is what has made us as successful as we've been with our restaurants. And so whether we're in wherever we're at, you know, we want the managers in that store to still feel like they're they're on Lansdowne, they're on Tate's Creek Road, and it's it's BHG. You know what I mean? Because that's got us to where we are. Right. So that's why that's that's what's so big about hiring from within because they breed the culture. They they eat the they drink the Kool Aid. You know? what, what do you guys do to to help foster that culture? What, what what roles do you all play, and then what do you guys instill in in your leadership team to um, to foster that? We do a lot of self evaluation. So uh, we started this with Horizon, and uh, and we well, did three prong three pronged evaluation where we ask your manager to evaluate you, we ask your peers to evaluate you, and we ask yourself to evaluate you. So it's a three-pronged evaluation that, that Coach Stoops uh, implemented with Horizon probably eight, eight years ago, and we started doing it three or four years ago. And um, it's, it's a great program. When, when, you're, when, you're evaluated, when you're evaluated by 100 to 200 other people in, the, in your restaurant that are your peers, and you've been there four years, and you're in the bottom 10%, I mean, it's a rude awakening. I mean, you're you're yeah. either like, holy cow, what do what have I done? What do I need to work on? Because two hundred people don't make up crap. And, and and Horizon is that a program you can purchase? Horizon or? is a uh, a firm out of North Carolina that um, started and they do a lot of football military programs. military HR consulting and uh, and then they broke into athletics uh, with universities like UK. And and they've uh, gotten into the private sector here in Central Kentucky with BHG and Gray and and a couple others. So uh, we thank the world of them, and they've been a big help to us. That's awesome. Other other cultural things that I think drive the brand and raise the bar are we like to celebrate, and uh, annually we have a a conference for our leaders. Uh, that's three day conference and a and a great. Resort destination, generally two BMWs, in, generally in Florida. We uh, we name the main we name the managing partner of the year on the Malone side, the managing partner of the year on the Drake side. Both of them get a uh, BMW for a year uh, to drive, courtesy of uh, the company. We we give away uh, we 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 celebrate for three days together. We give away um, lots of hardware, probably over. 70 awards and 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 we do the same thing uh, uh, with our team members in the store level with our top 10 rankings so once a year you're gonna as as a as a result of those evaluations all 26 stores have a top 10 list and and so for probably eight or ten years we award the top 10 employees that are that come out of those rankings from your manager peer and self-evaluation and we identify the top 10. We award those folks the top 10 team members in each of the 26 stores. You may have noticed in, in our in our restaurants, uh, if, if a name tag is 
denoted as top ten. Well, that's one of the top ten uh, team. It's members a big deal inside, to get it. In, inside that uh, inside that store, and they they um, not only get that mark, but uh, that uh, that honor, but they, they they get some other cool cool stuff that. Um, well, I, I, I'll t- say one more thing that I'll say over the air that I think is really good about our company is. We feel like that we play, we pay, you know, the higher side of the industry standards and in what we pay our managers. And what we do that's very unique is it's a four day work week. They work four twelves. They don't work. Mm. You know, you always hear managers, oh, I work six, seven days a week, blah, 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 all this sort of stuff. Well, we're for the average manager, we're four day work week. Now, I say that the kitchen manager, the bar manager, and the GM, Come in Mondays at five a.m. in their in their sweatpants and tennis shoes, and they do inventory. We inventory every week, the whole building. Right. They do inventory, and we are like fr- they're frowned upon if they get out past ten o'clock. So they work about five hours on Monday. The bar manager, but a lot of our stores have seven or eight other managers. Yeah, the other five managers are on yeah, four day work. and they work four day work week. So I mean. To have three days off every week is uh, it's a very unheard of in the restaurant business. Very. And even that Monday, to be honest with you, if you're a GM, bar manager, KM that we love and that you love us, that five hours that you came in or that four hours you came in on that Monday, that's not really like a work day. You know I mean, it's you're you're out by 10 o'clock in the morning and and you get all your results from all the hard work you've done that week. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, well, yeah. You have, I mean, you still have the whole day ahead. Yeah, you have the whole day ahead. You just go go play golf at noon. So, you yeah. know. I'm going to touch on another uh, cultural item. When did we start the Ron Rager Fund, Bruce? Oh, well, right after he passed. So, but I'm terrible with time. I am so. too. Uh, probably 10 years, 10 years ago. ago, we had a rock star. Um, just number one of all opera- time. D- director of operations that was really, really just wrapped his arms around our operations and um he uh he got cancer and passed away probably we're guessing 10 years ago but soon thereafter we created the ron rager memorial fund and you would not believe the countless team members out of three thousand that donate a little bit out of their weekly dollar a week two dollars a week and what it allows us to do is 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 when we have a team member uh, that has had an apartment fire or had a car wreck or uh, has... Um, Got assaulted or, or mugged or, or death or, in the family. Or has had to stop working due to cancer treatment or whatever the case may be, you can apply to the Ron Rager uh, Memorial Fund for, for assistance. And we're very nimble and able to approve, uh, approve this help in a very timely manner, and we have helped out countless team members over the last 10 years via the Ron Rager Memorial. That's really cool. That's awesome. That's really cool. One last question on the cultural side. How were you all able to kind of keep the same culture through COVID? And kind of what was the COVID challenge for you? But not lose sight of that culture in the meantime. I think it may have helped us instead of hurt us. You know, the only thing that the, 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 the one aggravation that I had about the biggest aggravation I had about COVID was that during COVID, when we had to shut down for the three months, whatever it was, you know, we were doing <laughs> it's some extraordinary carryout, which everybody thinks we killed it. You know, we did stupid numbers. We didn't make money during that time. We just wanted to be a certain. We didn't want people to go somewhere else and eat. 
And so we went from having 2,500 employees to having 700 employees in our restaurants working. You know, the neat thing about those 700 employees, they were just true heroes because everybody knew that all these people were making a buku of money sitting at home on the couch, right? And these 700 people were out there wearing masks. We didn't know how COVID was. We didn't know how bad it was. And here they are facing the public, handing them bags, taking money from them, taking their credit card, and doing all this crazy volume every day. And what was the craziest part of the whole deal was when COVID got better and we could open the restaurants up, we had to go out of our way to spend more money to incentivize our other employees to come back and quit getting free money and come back to work when really I wish we could have given all that money to the seven or 800 people that stayed with us through COVID and took uh, the risk, the risk yeah. that they took. Yeah. You know, we experienced kind of something similar where I feel like in the beginning, it almost brought us together more because most people weren't going and seeing their family that much. They weren't seeing outside friends, right. but they saw people at work. And so this was their, I mean, this was their friends now. This was their outlet. And, you know, I mean, we already had the culture where they were friends, but they were closer now because they weren't thinking about going home and hanging out with whoever because they weren't doing that. You know, there wasn't anything else going right. on. And so their only community was work. And so I, I feel like in the beginning it brought us together. But then when we really started cranking again, which we weren't impacted like you guys were. I mean, I can't imagine being um, a full-service dining, you know, experience and having to go through that. But when when we really opened back up again, it was it was almost worse because the wage wars, you know, started. Oh, my gosh. And our, our starting pay went way up, and people were saying, well, well why couldn't you pay me this before? And, and it almost – it went from we're being bonded to – we're we're button heads and I was just like, man, this is killing me. And I still don't truly believe we've a hundred percent recovered to where our culture was in twenty nineteen. I don't know if it ever will. I mean, you know, I was reading I read some of the red book we have red book notes every night from every restaurant sends their sales report and about about that much writing that tells about the day shift and the in the in the dining room, the day shift in the kitchen, the night shift in the dining room, night shift in the kitchen. And it's just a good little – there used to be a thing called Red Book back yeah. in the day that you'd leave in the office and write down. Now it's all digital. But we call it Red Book Notes. But, you know, we have employees that will just call off and say, hey, uh, can't come in, whatever. I mean, that back in the day, you know, back when I was running restaurants, you had to come in with, like, a broke you with a cut off limb or something to you know <laughs> I mean we wanted doctor's notes and everything else you know today's just, today it's a whole different world mm-hmm. people just don't come in if they don't want to work that day you know I mean and and you can't you can't necessarily take the same actions that you took 15 years ago or four years ago I right. mean it's a different it's a different you know it's just the world we live in now and we're trying to navigate through it but i mean you know the doctor's notes of the past have have not are not the same as it used to be just like we pivoted during the pandemic that's one of our strong suits we uh 
we're not scared to pivot and we're not scared to change and you know do what's right for the business who would who would you guys say has been your biggest mentors over the years or or maybe it's maybe it's not a mentor but it's been um a book that you've read or a conference you've gone to that's really helped mold you guys and develop you guys into who you are? Well, he's read a lot more books than I have, uh, but about like management it. people. But I, I will tell you, probably my biggest mentor was a guy named Thomas Weaver, who was my first GM when I got hired at Ellen and Seafood. Thomas is just cool guy, just laid back. You know, he didn't get so worked up about the small things, but everybody loved him, and they wanted to work for him, and they wanted to do a good job. I'll never forget, it's 1989, and we're closing one night, and we can't find the cooks. You know, we're in Louisville. We, they, they've had the same cooks there for since they opened up. They did a great job. Only four of them could crank out a busy Saturday night, and uh, we can't find them anywhere. We go back. And they are all smoking pot. This is 89, 90. They're all smoking pot behind the dumpster, hitting a joint. And, I mean, here's Bruce Drake. You know, I'm I'm Mr. Rules. You know, I'm, I just come out of college, and I'm like, well, they're, well that's automatic termination, whatever. And, and Thomas is like, boys, put that thing back out and get in the building and let's go. You know what I mean? And he was just. He was just like, you know, don't cut off your nose to spite your face. You don't want to lose your whole kitchen staff over one stupid incident, whatever. And and not that I was that laid back, but at the same time, you know, he knew that he didn't want to cut off his nose to spite his face. These boys generally did a good job. It was at the end of the shift, and I was, like, blown away that he allowed this to happen, you know. And uh, But, you know, the Thomases is like, you know, shit happens. So, yeah, I learned that the hard way by firing a lot of people and then working a lot of shifts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did too. Believe me, I didn't take it to heart with Thomas. I, you know, I fired one of my best friends for stealing a ten dollar bottle of wine. Oh man, yeah. So I've 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 followed Cameron Mitchell in Columbus. He's uh, a lot like Brian and Bruce, but he's done it on his own. Started about five years earlier than we did out of Columbus. Just opened his hundredth restaurant last month, and um, Bruce and I are both very close with Cameron. But he has been a uh, he's been a mentor and a, and given us a lot of advice over the years. Is there anything you guys want to share before we uh, start wrapping it up? Any cool stories or anything you want to share with the local community of or local entrepreneurs that are wanting to start a business? I, I'll say I'll say one thing that. I get asked a lot about because for whatever reason, so many people want to be in the restaurant business. And and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I it's a good business. It's a tough business to make money. And not not that just I'm not patting myself on the back because we've done well with it. But I will just say whatever business that you want to start and do, you can do it. That's fine. Just do yourself a favor and really know what the hell you're doing. And like whether it takes three or four years of waiting tables and managing, or if it's a tire business, then get in there and learn all about about the tire business, or whatever it is you do, just know know it backwards and forwards and the inside and out. You know, just don't do it because you got fifty grand and you got a whole burner in the pocket. I mean, know what you're doing because that makes that makes all the difference in the world. 
I'd just say, um, what a great place we live in. <laughs> I mean, wow. Thankful as heck that uh, my parents brought me here uh, 50 years ago because Lexington's tough to beat. You know, I travel all over the place, and uh, there's not many places as special as Lexington. And look at what's happened in the last four or five years. We've had a pandemic, and despite a pandemic, uh, look at all the cool things that are happening around here with with bur- bourbon and tourism and, you know, of course, Big Blue Nation and, and the restaurant scene. I mean, who would who would have thought 10 or 15 years ago that we'd have – you know, Jeff Ruby's and Tony's and Italics and Frank and Dino's and all these competitors we have now down downtown. All thriving. Is, yep. All doing great. And uh and quite frankly, um, you know, it's uh it's helped BHG raise the bar. I think we're a better restaurant company with all this new competition. And um, you know, Lexington has become a much more uh robust restaurant town and uh we have a lot to be proud of. Well, I'm not just saying this to to kiss butt, but when our team goes out to celebrate, we go to Malone's. So, well, thank you. <laughs> we want to stay loyal to the local, um, and and that's really what this kind of podcast is all about. So, we always end with either what's your favorite bourbon, or what are you excited about that's happening in Lexington right now. So, we'll let you guys pick on that. Well, he's not going to pick his favorite bourbon because he's not a bourbon drinker. But uh, but but Bruce can talk for an hour about bourbon. Well. I will say that I've had the rare ability to try every other bourbon, every kind of bourbon there is. I mean, you know, OBC has over 800 bourbons. Obviously, for the most part, I could have any of them I want to drink. Uh, But I have to say my go-to, and most of my friends know this, is just a Woodford on the rocks. I love Woodford. And, you know, and it's not just because that we sell (laughs) more Woodford than any – Pretty much any place in the United States. I mean, we've bought 120, 130 barrels of Woodford that we sell in our restaurants. But, I mean, I just like Woodford on the rocks. It's real, just a real easy drink. It tastes great, and it's my go-to. Have you had the double-double? I, I have had it, but um, I just like just the, just the regular Woodford. I prefer the regular Woodford, you know. I respect it. I respect it. Just on the rocks. Well, he just said I'm not the bourbon guy, but, uh, you know, and I touched on what am I excited about? I'm excited about Lexington. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we've been here, I've been here for 50 years. Uh, we just celebrated our 25th anniversary uh, of opening Malone's. We just celebrated our 20th anniversary of opening Harry's. This community has literally propelled this little restaurant company into a 26 unit, you know, restaurant uh, entity that, that is, blowing and going and it's going to double in size in the next five years and it all started here and we love Lex. I mean, you know, um, we're getting ready to open our 27th restaurant with uh, Illinois. Uh, that'll be St. Louis, Richmond St. Heights. Richmond Heights. And that'll that'll put us over $200 million. $200 million. That's awesome. So it's uh, all started here 25 years ago and we couldn't have done it without Central Kentucky. That's really cool. That's awesome. Um, well, we appreciate having you both on to kind of share that story of what was a Lexington staple, but now is getting to expand and share to everyone else outside of Lexington as well. It, it, it is kind of neat that, you know, we have this network of friends, and I get a video once or twice a week at, they're in Nashville, and, 
you know, they're they're showing me the bar in Nashville, or having a they're taking a picture of a drink in Nashville or Bristol or wherever. Some you know, they're. Do you at. ever get the one where they send you the picture and say, "Where am I?" <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. They're trying me to guess, and I'm like, you know, they're so similar, it's hard to pick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and and how about some final kudos for our. Uh, Interior decorator that's been with us for 25 years. Julie Rainey. Wow. She's the greatest. Talking about not being able to guess what, what store somebody's in, she does a great job of keeping, a, keeping them all looking great and, and, and keeping everything on brand. I'll give you another shout-out. Besides Julie, who is both of our boss, she, she, what she says goes. Uh, we she have tell you a, what to wear? Yeah, pretty much, <laughs> if, it need, if need be. We have a wonderful lady that uh, is in charge of marketing called, uh, her name's Amber Cook. I don't know, if, I think she set this up or yeah. whatever. Amber has just done a phenomenal job. She's amazing. Well, we've, we, we, we have over 150 managers, 3,000 team members, 50 people in our corporate office, and uh, bottom line is without great people, you can't build a great business, and they've uh, helped us build a great business. That's incredible. Awesome. awesome. Thank you guys for um, creating Malone's and um, providing great food and great service. And thank you guys for providing a lot of awesome jobs for a lot of employees. You guys have been a big part of our local economy. And um, it seems like you're impacting the uh, national economy here a little bit. So thank you guys. And we'll, we'll put some uh, contact info if anybody wants to has heard your story and wants to reach out to uh, BHG and apply and work for you guys, we'll put that in the show I can notes. tell you Brian's phone number if you need me to. <laughs> put it on the air right now. <laughs> <laughs>